so good to be with you this morning. As they just said, uh, this is Vision Sunday, although I might hand the mic back over to Jess. I think she just did an amazing job of pitching something of who we are and um, and, and really, in many ways, getting into the message of uh, of church is great, but Jesus is greater is to some extent the message today. Um, we take this Sunday every, normally every February, to have a look at get some perspective on what is it that God is doing and uh, any year I think it's helpful to have a bit of a perspective lift um, and just to work uh, get our head away from the day-to-day I think this year more than any we need this uh, this this uplifting of our eyes to reflect on what Jesus is doing amongst us Um, and as as we do that I think it just helps us to discern okay he's doing this this might be where he's taking us and where he's leading us. And that's very much what we're going to be doing this morning. So uh, my hope is that this message encourages us, um, gives a bit of insight into some of the threads that Jesus is perhaps trying to pull together in our family life. And of course, give us faith for all that he is calling us onto as a family. Pretty much since the beginning of our time as Revelation Church, as we started to meet in our living room in Northenden just two and a half years ago, just a handful of us there, um, we have been referring to ourselves as a family following Jesus. You have heard that phrase unlimited times together already, uh, and it's very much who we are. The idea of being family is right at the heart of who we are. In those early days, um, we kept going back to Genesis chapter 12, um, where God picks Abraham totally out of obscurity, a pagan man, and says, I'm picking you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless your family, and I'm calling you essentially to come and follow me. And ever since then, um, we have referred to ourselves as a family following Jesus. And I think in the last weeks, what he has been doing is he has been unearthing a, a, a deepening of what this really means for us. And in doing that, I think he has been doing something new amongst us, But something that's not just exciting for now, not just a story that we'll be able to to, to hark on for the years to come and say, well, wasn't it great that God did that then? Although it will be something of that. But I think what he is doing is he is placing a foundation block in us that the rest of Revelation Church is going to be built on for the years to come. So it's that this morning that I want to unpack. And so today's message is simply called The Good Shepherd. And we're going to be looking in John chapter 10. So if you've got a Bible, do turn there. The words will appear on the screen otherwise, so don't worry too much about that. If you haven't got scripture to hand, but it's always good to, uh, to follow along if you're able to. And this is perhaps the richest image of the church following Jesus that you can find in all of scripture. And it is a really simple one. It is simply one of a church, the church as a flock of sheep following their good shepherd, Jesus. And so we're going to read from John chapter 10, verses 1 through to 4, and then we'll just skip down to verses 14 and 15. So these are the words of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought uh, brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And then Jesus continues, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Here is what I believe. 
Jesus' call on us is to be a church that reaches and impacts the city of Manchester with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that is an impossible vision. That is a vision that is far beyond any of our, uh, well, it, we, ha- we are so limited to be able to accomplish that ourselves. And so my conviction is that there is only one way that that impossible vision can happen. And so here is a one sentence summary of my message today. The only way that we can hope to fulfill our call to see Manchester changed is by fixing our eyes on our good shepherd, hearing his voice and following him wherever he goes. Let me say that again. The only way that we can hope to fulfill our call to see Manchester changed is by fixing our eyes on our good shepherd, hearing his voice and following him wherever he goes. The beauty of Jesus' imagery here, of him being a shepherd, us being the sheep, is the simplicity of it. It's so easy to grasp. And yet it is quite far culturally removed for us. I think our images of sheep are perhaps that sheep basically could not have an easier life. That we drive past them as we go around the peak districts perhaps, and you look on sheep and you think, life could, they have, like literally the only decision they have to make each day is which tiny patch of unlimited grass in front of them they're going to spend their day on. And each day they can pick somewhere different. They have stepped into like the, the Pizza Hut unlimited buffet of the sheep world. They can have as much as they want. And of course, it's in the northwest, so they don't have to worry about whether they're going to have enough water to drink. The rain is constantly coming, coming down and giving them lush, fresh grass to eat. But that could not be further removed from the context into which Jesus is speaking right here. In the first century Near East shepherding world, life was very different. They shepherded in desert territory. We are talking literally thousands of miles around each and every city around this area where their shepherding would happen in arid wilderness conditions fraught with danger if you are a sheep. There would be treacherous cliffs just over there just waiting for some rogue unsuspecting sheep to accidentally tumble down. There would be crumbling mountains just ready for a sheep to accidentally misplace its hoof sheep foot, I don't know what, is it, what a sheep has, but ready to take it down the, the crumbling cliff. There'd be a wolf just over there, eyeing up his dinner. And there would be minimal water, sparse patches only of, of, of plants and grass, not everything edible, some, some right to eat, some not. A long way from the five-star luxury Scottish highlands that 21st century British sheep can enjoy. The idea here is that these sheep are totally incapable of keeping themselves alive. The only way that these sheep even had a chance was if they had a shepherd. If they had a shepherd who knew how to navigate the terrain, a shepherd that knew how to protect from threats, that spot those tiny patches of nourishing, safe-to-eat plants and grass and, and the little oases of water that might appear and to then safely lead the sheep to that place. On their own, the sheep would have absolutely no chance. 
They didn't know what to do and they didn't know how to do it. Their only hope was if they were able to look to their shepherd. One of the most relatable prayers, I think, in the whole of the Bible for this moment is a prayer that we've looked at a little bit as a church over the last few weeks. It's in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, where King Jehoshaphat is leading out his troops of of the nation Judah into battle. And he prays this. He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And this is such a relatable prayer for this moment, I think, because because it is a prayer of... I do not know what to do. I don't know if you've ever experienced a time where you have said that or felt that quite as much as you probably have over the last 12 months or so. It's a prayer of, I do not know what is happening right now in the world, in my own life, in my own heart. A prayer of, I have no idea what to expect in the immediate future, let alone six months down the line. I mean, who knows what the world might look like then? And it's this prayer that Jehoshaphat prays. This prayer that King Jehoshaphat prays as he's leading out his troops into battle. And you think if anybody in that circumstance should know what it is that they plan to do and what is going to happen next, it's him. And yet he prays, I don't know what to do. I don't know what is happening. Can I let you in on a secret? I don't know. As leader of Revelation Church, I have no idea what this next year ahead of us contains. Which I hope is compelling and fills you with a ton of confidence on Vision Sunday. But we are in the most unpredictable, unprecedented days that are ge- uh, for generations. Impossible to predict. There are so many moving parts as to what society at large looks like. Who knows what Manchester is going to look like in 2022? I just don't know. But sheep aren't meant to know. King Jehoshaphat here prays the prayer of a sheep. He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. The role of the sheep is not to know what is happening right now, not to be able to predict exactly what is coming next. The only role of the sheep is to look up, look up to its shepherd to know that the only way forward the only way that i'm going to navigate this terrain is if i fix my eyes on my good shepherd and know that he is going to lead me out and i think it is exactly this that jesus has been forming in us these last few weeks when i got uh, an email totally out of the blue on the 25th of january literally the day after we'd done our first in-person meeting back at our venue in fallowfield to say that the venue was shutting down for now, we're unable to meet for the immediate future. We were plunged as a family into all kinds of uncertainty, let alone all of the uncertainty that we're all facing anyway. Suddenly, as a church, we were homeless. And I felt a sense in myself of, I think in this there is an opportunity to pray and an invitation to pray. And so I started to pray myself and, um, and felt, actually, we've got these days of prayer and fasting coming up. This would be a good thing for us to devote our attention and our energies to in prayer. 
And so he put out that idea to the church. But I had no idea that God was provoking and stirring and, and, and prompting so many others to, li- to do exactly the same. Because in that moment, I think more than we have ever done as a family, we responded like sheep. That our response wasn't, let's plan. Our response wasn't, let's panic. Our response was, let's pray into this. Let's look up to our good shepherd. And as we went through those three days of prayer and fasting, there was such a momentum of God. We just want to keep coming, want to keep praying to you. We, we felt even as a, those days came to an end, normally after three days, we're all kind of, we've had enough of praying, thank you very much. But there just felt like there was such a momentum going on that we said, oh, we, just, we need to keep going and that God was inviting us into that. So we did a, a week of morning prayer just a couple of weeks back. And again, the momentum of just gathering together every day, continually asking we just kept going, kept trusting him. And even just this Friday morning prayer, just gone a similar level of, of, of just coming to God and wanting to trust in him for this. You know, I never thought that one of the high points of church planting life would be the immediate aftermath of our venue saying, no, nope, we're shut, you can't come in, we're homeless now as a church. But yet through all of this, God has been taking us deeper, deeper into our identity as a family following him, teaching us what it really means to be a family who prays, who trusts him, who doesn't look to try and plot and chart our own way out in all of the uncertainty and to try and go our own way, but to look to him. He's been teaching us how to be sheep. But of course, the power of this image is not really found in the sheep just looking to the shepherd. It is found in the sheep being with the shepherd. Verse 4, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. The shepherd here is not just pointing in the right direction and saying, oh, go over there. Where they need to go, he is leading by himself and then inviting and saying, come, come and be with me, come and follow me. This is the the beauty, really, of the shepherd and the sheep imagery. You see, in the first century, being a shepherd was not just a job that some people would have. Now, in the first century Near East culture, shepherds loved their sheep. They had not just names for them all individually, but they would then have pet names for them as well. It's kind of alluded to in verse 3 where, where it says that Jesus calls his sheep by name. And they would, a shepherd would not have any more sheep than he would be able to know in a, in a kind of deep way as one of his pets. And I mean, this, you think of the craziest cat person that you know, that person that's got an Instagram account just for their cat. And if that is you, we can talk afterwards. The shepherds of the first century Near East were the, 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 the equivalent of that with their sheep. And the shepherd who loves his sheep in that way runs right through scripture as a picture of God's devoted love to his people. Just to take one example of many, many that I could pull from Isaiah chapter 40. God will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. 
So it's not enough for God to just be some kind of or provide some kind of perfectly calibrated GPS system for God's will and timing for us, as cool as that might be. No, no, it's far. He, it's, he, he listens to some of the words that he uses. He says, I want to gather you up. I want to, to carry you. I want to gently lead you on. It's not enough to just point the way for God. No, he's saying, I want to be with you. I want to be with you so that I can show you the way. That the way that you will navigate the wilderness is not just by following some directions. No, no, it's by coming and being with me. Walking every step in the presence of God. It was something similar in the Exodus when God was leading his people through the wilderness towards the promised land. He didn't just say, look, here's a detailed plan, here's a, here's a map that's going to get you through. No, he's saying, well, you don't need any of that. You just need my presence. I will show you. I am going to come and dwell amongst you. And you, you will be a people walking with your God. And now in Jesus, as our good shepherd, we have something far greater. That presence, that pillar of cloud by day and of fire by night that the Israelites had, all of that presence of God is now found in a person. Walking with that presence is now walking with Jesus. The fullness of God in a person we can know. Verse 14. Listen again. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. This is the transcendent, holy glory, the pillar of fire. Try not to get too close, otherwise you might get consumed. Walking among that same God in the person of Jesus Christ, a friend, a protector, a comforter with us at all times, leading us on, drawing us closer to himself, inviting us to be with him, to know him better, to experience him more, to be a people walking every day in the presence of Jesus Christ. I think this is a compelling picture, but it also paints a costly picture. Because to be right with the shepherd means that wherever he moves, we move. Wherever he goes, we go. Wherever. This is a picture of an, and a call to leave everything else behind in order to be in the presence of of the Good Shepherd. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount recently, as Rose said at the beginning, and one of the themes that has been coming up through that is this idea of following Jesus and his invitation to follow him with the whole of our hearts and to give everything of ourselves to following him. And I know from talking to many, and certainly for myself, I have felt so convicted and challenged. And what does this mean for my life? How can I, how can I choose to follow Jesus more? Can I do it? What's this going to cost me? But I've been so encouraged to hear that this message really has resonated with so many in our family at this time. 
that there is this stirring and this feeling of what we called a holy discontent of just I, I'm not satisfied with my current level of following Jesus. I, I want to, to be more devoted to him. I want to be more loyal to him. And, you know, this feeling, it's not just a feeling and a sense of, oh, I want to be more obedient to Jesus. This is actually a longing for more of his presence. You see, this is what it means to be a people of the presence of Jesus and to be a people in the presence of Jesus. That being in his presence, it's not just worship, extended worship nights where we uh, perhaps make some space to linger and invite the presence of God and to encounter him. Although without any shadow of a doubt, he loves that. He loves us making time for that and to coming to meet with us in those spaces. But a people who really know what it's like to be with Jesus and walk in his presence are a people who have had a, a taste of him, a glimpse of him, and then have the courage and the boldness to say, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to give everything to be with him. I'm going to follow him with everything I've got, wherever he leads, whatever it might cost me. I'm going to make decisions to follow him with every area of my life because that is where he is. That as we journey through the, the arid wilderness that is the 21st century Manchester progressive secular city that we live in, I believe in the years ahead, those that really know what it is to be walking in the presence of Jesus Christ are going to be those who have lost friends, those who have been shamed on Facebook, those that have walked away from lucrative six-figure careers, all because they refuse to compromise on the integrity of the kingdom of God, I refuse to compromise on following Jesus. They would just give up anything because to follow him in those things is to be with him and to be in his presence. And this is who we are called to be. We are called to be a people who know Jesus Christ and know what it is to be in his presence. A people who refuse to compromise on knowing him, refuse to compromise on being with him, and we will go with him wherever he leads us. And because we know him, and because we have been with him and want to be with him, we are able to hear the sound of his voice. Verse 4 again. When he has brought out all his own, a stranger, excuse me, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. This is perhaps the central message of all of Jesus's good shepherd in uh, John chapter 10, that he speaks to lead his flock on. We see it not only in verse 4, but verse 3, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. We see it in verse 16, they will listen to my voice. And then we see it finally in verse 27, the sheep, sorry, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Sheep have very few gifts. They, they're able to chew grass and they're able to bar and they're not able to do a tremendous amount more. But one thing that they are exceptional at is that they are exceptional at hearing the voice of their shepherd. You can put 
multiple different flocks of sheep in one pen, station the different shepherds that correspond to those flocks around the pen, have them all do their call at once, and each and every sheep will go to the right shepherd without fail. As I said, they can't do a tremendous amount. They are not able to do much, but they are able to hear, they are able to discern, and they are able to follow the voice of their shepherd. Jesus is using this image and then making it clear through his repeated mentions, we are made to tune in to the sound of his voice, discern what it is that he's saying, and follow wherever he leads. And many of you will know this is exactly what we have been seeking to do as we have prayed for our venue. We have, as we have been praying into it this last few weeks, there's been a repeated theme of Jesus. We only want to go where it is that you are leading us. In the, even in this unsettling time, as tempting as it is to just go after what we want or what would suit us or to just quickly find a solution so we've got a bit of certainty, there has been a consistent theme of, no, no, Jesus, we want to bring this to you. We want to hear your voice. We want to listen to you. And we know that as we do, you will lead us. And you won't just take us somewhere good, but you will take us to the place that you have next for us, that you want us to be. And so that's exactly what we've done, particularly at our prayer and fasting night a couple of Wednesdays ago. We made space and said, God, would you just speak to us? Would you make it clear somehow? Um, through? And would you speak to us as a family? Would we hear lots of different things from lots of different people? And we had all sorts of things come forward. We had people say, bringing pictures of, of dilapidated sheds. We had people bringing pictures of breweries, of shipping containers, things that you might think, if anything, this is discouraging. Like these are, This surely doesn't point to a venue that we want to be in. Jesus, what are you up to? But the remarkable thing is that all of these seemingly disconnected people that came through in many, many different ways actually seem to be coming together like a, a puzzle where each piece just looks totally indecipherable on its own but as it all comes into the whole it clicks into place and brings clarity and what we can say for now and what i think is most exciting is that for sure god is speaking to us god is speaking to us now about where he wants us to go next what he what he has next for us and he is leading us as we trust him and say, we look to you to lead us on to the next thing. And where we're at now in terms of the venue hunting process is that we have felt that God has led us to a building through these prophetic things that have come through. That, f that seems really, really clear for us. And now we are just waiting and asking Jesus, would you open the door here? He's inviting us into praying and saying, Jesus, would you open the door and make it, make it happen? And I know that that is frustrating to hear because you're like, Duncan, I want to know more. Like, where is this place? What does it look like? How is it? But I can't really say too much more at the moment. And I hope to be able to share a little bit more detail soon. But the reason that I share this is because I think there's something so much bigger going on than just which venue are we going to have next. I believe that in this whole process, what Jesus is doing is he is, he is writing something into our collective story and placing, as I said at the beginning, a foundation block into our life as a family on which the rest of the church and who we are is to be built. Because, you know, in, in a few years' time, what this could become is, oh, do you remember a few years ago 
we had that really great time where we suddenly became homeless as a church, and so we then prayed, and uh, I don't know, it's such a great time. Yeah? Who, who doesn't want to become homeless as a church? We, we started to pray, and as we did, all of these really weird, cool, prophetic stuff started to come, and then it all started to come together, and he led us to this venue, and wasn't that great? That's a really great story, wasn't it? It could become that. Or we could see that there's something bigger going on here. That this is a moment for us to truly get hold of. This is who we are called to be as a family. That we are a people who rely on the voice of the Good Shepherd to lead us on with the sound of his voice to take us from thing to thing. That he keeps speaking, we keep making space to hear, and that we are a people that enjoy this dynamic relationship with our good shepherd, calling us on, leading us into new things. Sometimes that will be physical things, venues, initiatives, spaces, whatever, but more often than not, it will be spiritual things that we just discern, look, Jesus is speaking, he's leading us into this, he's asking us to partner with him here and inviting us into to this thing. The venue stuff is so exciting, but what I want us to see is he's doing something far more than just leading us into a new home, if we have eyes to see it. He is building faith and confidence in us that these things, this idea of Jesus speaking and us following it's not just book work it's not just theory it's not just principles but in the real world in the life of us our church he is a god who speaks and he loves it when we try and hear his voice discern what he's saying and put our trust in where he's leading and as he builds our confidence in his voice to lead us into the next thing, I also think that he wants to remind us what he has said already. As we were praying into the um, the prophetic stuff, Nat, who just le- led us in worship, had a, um, a prophetic picture of a specific junction in the city centre, just north of the city centre, um, and faithfully wanting to follow him and just hear what Jesus has to say, Nat and I went there one evening to pray into uh, I- and just have a look around. And to be honest, we saw basically nothing of any significance that we thought, oh, this is God speaking or this is the next thing that he's leading us on to. But there was one moment where we climbed a set of stairs and we looked back on the city centre and we saw this vast cityscape in in front of us with tower blocks of offices, high rises, all of these, these flats, massive cityscape, all the lights on and cranes, unlimited cranes building more and more and more. And I remember just feeling like I am, I I feel so small, I feel so insignificant, how can we ever do anything in this city? And it was at that moment that something absolutely disastrous happened. I was convicted by my own preaching. (laughs) And I remember using those same words, small and insignificant, in a sermon just a few weeks ago when we we spoke of salt and light, as Rose prayed, uh, prayed earlier in our worship. That salt seems so small and insignificant, and a tiny light in a room can seem so small and insignificant. But a small amount of salt can be scattered on something huge, and it can have a potent impact. A tiny light in a vast expanse of total darkness can have a potent 
impact. Even the small, even the seemingly insignificant can have a potent impact on that which is huge. And I felt as I reflected on that in the days that, that followed that actually what God was using that moment to start to build faith all over again for who we have been called to be as a church, for the original vision of why we came to start Revelation Church Manchester. You see, when Hannah and I were at Grace Church Nottingham a few years ago, our good shepherd spoke. He said, move to Manchester and start a church in Manchester to reach the city of Manchester. And so, of course, when you do that, you've got to start somewhere. So we bought a house. We started meeting in our living room in Northenden, as I mentioned before. But as we did that, we were never Revelation Church Northenden. And then we moved to our venue in Fallowfield a couple of years after that. And we never became Revelation Church Fallowfield. And this last year, we've been meeting online. But mercifully, we never became Revelation Church Zoom. We have always been, because our Good Shepherd spoke, Revelation Church, Manchester. And as we come out of being online together, as we move to a new venue by God's grace, I believe that he is reminding us and reawakening faith perhaps within us and maybe even speaking a fresh commissioning to us as a family the voice of our good shepherd reminding us this is who you are and this is what you've been called to do that he has called us to manchester to reach the city of manchester to play our part in seeing the kingdom of god coming in this city and that is impossible it's overwhelming and even as I'm saying, I think, how on earth is this ever going to happen? But I'll go back to where we began. The good shepherd is the only hope that we have. And it's this image that I long for us to have etched in our mind's eye as a family, that in, in our hearts as Revelation Church, that we are a flock of helpless, vulnerable sheep. And we have absolutely no idea what to do. We find ourselves in an impossible terrain. But we are huddled around our good shepherd. He will lead us on. And we will follow him wherever he leads us. We'll leave everything else behind as he calls us on trying to get as close to him as we possibly can longing to hear his voice trying to catch where is it that you might be leading us next because i think as we see ourselves in this picture we can start to get faith for all it is that he is calling us into how do you reach a city as a church plant i don't know but our good shepherd has spoken. And all he asks of us is that we look to him, we keep hearing his voice, and we follow him wherever it is that he might lead. Rob and Nat, do you want to come? He is leading us on a 
life-changing, city-impacting, eternity-spanning adventure. And I want to invite you, if you're new or uh, maybe you find yourself a bit on the edge of who we are, or maybe you've been with us since day one, if you want to live a life of real significance, if you want to live a life of increased devotion to Jesus, if you want to do your bit to see the city of Manchester reached for Jesus and to see his kingdom advance, we would love for you to join us as we follow him wherever he goes. And just to be totally clear, I have no idea what it is going to look like, what the coming years ahead might be like for us. We have no master plan, no great strategy, no amazing original ideas of how to do it. But we do have a person. We do have our good shepherd, the fullness of God found in the good shepherd. And he's drawing us to himself and leading us on. Let's follow him.